Kurt, your message last week, I watched it uh, because I wasn't able to be here traveling. And I want you to know I was about the right amount offended by your uh, message. So, no, uh, I liked the concept. The concept is that you have to step out of the noise really to be able to hear from the Lord and move in the right direction, right? I mean, when it came down to it, that, that's a very important, significant teaching. If we really want to hear from God, there's a, a situation that uh, is going to enable us to do that. And that's actually stepping out of the world a little bit and kind of walking into that place you call the wilderness. And that's a a place where we get to hear. And so then I started thinking, how much of my life am I really giving towards stepping out and into that, that place of the wilderness? And that's where I started to get a little bit offended. And then I started thinking, well, maybe I could do a New Year's resolution that I would seek the Lord more, right? But then he told us that everyone's going to fail at their New Year's resolutions. And so that, you know, then it's like, my goodness, I had a couple New Year's resolutions. One was to stretch out every day. Because that's easy, right? Stretch out. And I only, I thought, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm preaching next week. I'm going to tell you not everybody fails. Only two times in one week did I stretch. I mean, it's so easy. To, it's so weird. But basically, I hate to say it, but you're right. We're just a bunch of subpar humans that are failing and trying to be. I mean, it's so, if, if the focus is on the flesh, there's something that doesn't motivate us enough to succeed. If the focus is just trying to get better flesh, flesh doesn't win for us anyway, right? Mm, And so so I'm kind of glad deep down inside, it's like, hey, if you're trying to make yourself the better self or the better flesh, it's doomed to failure anyway, because guess what? Flesh is decaying every day. So I kind of liked being offended. Thank you. That's the long way of saying it. But I, I did come to this place of acknowledging that a true disciple is at a place in our life where what we really want to do is we just want to grow spiritually. And so even the word disciple, for some of us, disciples, you know, been used a lot. And we wonder what it's like. Is it a regiment? Is it memorizing? Is it accountability? You know, a little bit of all of those things. What is discipling? And so I would like to suggest today that discipling is really spiritual growth. Because it's, it's taking a focus off of the flesh, off of the world, and putting a focus on the things that last forever called eternity and spirit. And when we're on a spiritual path, we will get discipled. And what's amazing is that the things in our flesh are probably going to come to a place where we recognize that that focus isn't going to increase our ability to grow in the spirit. And yet for so many of us, you know, in our world system, almost everything we see has to do with well, being the better self, self-awareness, self-this or flesh. And so I'm kind of glad to get off the, flat, the flesh, you know, wheel. I really am. And I, I was thinking of a time in my life where I just had this uh, kind of like epiphany that something isn't as what as good as what I thought it was, right? So a lot of my life as a, as a human being, I've been, I just want to be the best version of myself. I've really thought that. And there's an element where there's truth to it, and I appreciated the message last week. Yet, but our best self will always pale in comparison to the spiritual forever self that God's building, right? Yes. It always will. And, and so for me, I was just pondering it, and, and I was reminded as a five, almost six-year-old, my mother... Uh, allowed us to get a pet. And so we were so excited. We went to a little pet store. And, I, and some of you know that I grew up uh, not very wealthy at all. In fact, very lower, lower middle class with seven kids. And so that just makes the poverty that much funner, right? You get to share it with your family. 
But we went to the pet store. Guess what we got? To, my mother took us to an area where we could get a pet. It was called mice. And, you know, those were cheap, you know. I'm just telling you. But we ended up doing some negotiating, and we got a hamster. And so they reached out of the thing. We got this hamster. And I remember it was, it was so cute. And we took it home. We got a little cage. It had a little wheel. So that's what our whole family got. We had a pet hamster. One of them, you know, just one. And then the most unique thing happened. Hamster had babies. Well, yeah. And so now we're going like, score, man. We got a bunch of these things. I've been, you know, petting that little hamster, loving on that little hamster. It had us little babies, and I would go there and I would look at the little, you know, cage and see it. And then it was the most disturbing thing. I don't know how to tell you this. Did you know that hamsters have a tendency to eat their babies? I mean, I'm, I'm like five and six, and the hamster mother ate the baby. And I was like, I never touch that hamster again after that. I'm sure something like shattered, like all nature's messed up. How can you eat your pet? I'm looking at my mom like, yeah, that was a bad pet, you know? And it's just such a weird thing as a little kid to see that. And it's almost, you know, friends, for me, if I'm sitting there looking at the best version of myself in this world, the world, friends, isn't going to work. The world eats its own. It's, it's not happening. We're going to have to have that little epiphany, that shift that says, I'm living for the forever kingdom. I'm going to walk with the love of the Lord. I'm going to walk in his life, even if it kills me. And oh, by the way, it's supposed to. Yeah. And so that's, and when you read the book of Mark, if, if we don't understand what Mark is really saying, Mark is a spiritual map to be like Jesus. That's what the book is. It's no thrills. I mean, no frills at all. Mark doesn't even begin with the beginning of the uh, you know, birth story of Jesus. It just jumps right into it. John said this, is, let's get going. This is what happened. And it's like, why don't you even do the lineage like the other guys did? Or why can't you be all nice and poetic like John? No, Mark's just going, hey, let's roll up our sleeves and get spiritual. Here's the map. You want to follow it? You do these things. You don't follow these things. You're not going to end up where you want to be. It's just that straightforward of a book. Not only is it straightforward, but friends, I want you to hear this from the very beginning. Please, every eye, every heart open right now. If we literally believe what we see in the book of Mark, we will be very different people. Yes. I don't know. I heard Kurt's heart and, and, you know, wanting to like, if we don't get this much, we'll shut the church down tight. I hear I get that. Because if, if, if you can sit there and you can read what Mark said, who gave his life, all these other individuals who gave their lives so that we could learn and grow spiritually, right? Yeah. If we miss it, we've missed it. Yeah. That's, you can't miss this. And friends, I've read the scripture in Hebrew. I've read it in Greek. I've studied it. And I'm still literally moved when I read what's really being said, and what happens in this book. It's not Greek. It's not scholastic. It is life-threatening. It's made to transform us. And, and I've, I just want to be able to be a spiritual leader in my community with people who want to see God be God. Right? And so that's, that's what we're going to get out of this book. I want to encourage you, read through the book. I know for some of you, it's just going to seem like it goes boom, boom, boom. But every time that it's boom, it's like Isaac playing those drums. Do you hear him today? And he, he was hitting it pretty good. 
And and just you know, it, when you hear the drums right, it does kind of like boom, boom, boom. I heard it. And so when we see these things, it's like a cadence. It's like a call. In the very word of God, you can be this. You can be this. You can be this. You can be this. And so I, I, that's the team I'm signing up for. I'm signing up for a team. All right. So anyway, uh, who's the role model? Uh, Kurt, thank you again for uh, having such an awful role model that you presented last week, John the Baptist. So here's John the Baptist out in the wilderness. He's doing everything wrong, and yet the throngs come to him. And it's amazing to be able to see what a radical life he was. And I started thinking like this, friends. The book of Mark and really the movement of God, it's not just the book of Mark, it's the way God set it up. It was going to begin with a forerunner named John the Baptist, who was a radical human being, and he called people to live a radical life. It's, that's just the way it really works, right? And so you sit there and you think, well, this will never work. No, people went out into the wilderness to be able to see what he was doing and be a part of what he was teaching, right? And so we were moving out of our comfort zone to go and hear from this crazy man. Here's a little spoiler alert for you, though. Uh, John the Baptist gets beheaded. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, here's the hero. It all works this way. Yeah, and then later on, uh, the religious leaders and political and government leaders kill him because uh, they don't like what he said. So uh, that's how it begins. And was he a spiritual man? Was he a spiritual giant? He jump-started the very coming of the Messiah of God who changed everything. So I'd say he had a pretty good life. He did it, right? And so here he is. He's, he's doing that. And then I started thinking, you know, Jesus is coming back. So Jesus came the first time, had a forerunner. He's coming back. And then I just started thinking of all the scriptures that said, now I'm going to create in my followers, the spirit of Elijah before I return again. I'm going to get people who are going to be now just like John the Baptist because he, and then Jesus even says, if you can handle this, John the Baptist was the original spirit of Elijah of the promised return, but he's coming back again. In the meantime, do you understand that you and I, we are the spirit of Elijah that get to go out there and lose our heads for Christ? That's what we get to do. We get to, we get to say he's coming back again. And I'm thinking like this. It started with John the Baptist. Jesus came. It's going to end with us being able to proclaim the return of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who's going to make everything right. And it's just as hard for people to believe that today as it was for them to believe the message from John the Baptist. And so what does Jesus do? He says, I'm going to make some disciples or followers, and I'm going to inspire them to carry this message. Watch me do it. So that's the book of Mark, okay? Are you ready to jump into it? And so uh, just another little uh, warning in it is that he's going to start picking up some momentum. He's going to build a team. And I'm warning you right now, the team doesn't look like um, what we probably would want to set up for a Super Bowl championship team. It looks more like the Seahawks. <laughs> nah, really, you guys are going to boo me on that? I talk about John the Baptist getting beheaded. It's quiet as a mouse. I talk about the Seahawks, boo. You ought to be booing the fact you're going to lose your head if you stand for Christ. Boo that. It, it, you know, sometimes you have these championship teams that you, you know, like the 49ers of the 80s or others, and it's like no one's stopping those guys, right? You look at the team that he picked, it's like a ragamuffin team. 
I was a commercial fisherman at age 21 or 22, whatever it was, uh, up in the Bering Sea for five months, six months, I can't remember. And I'm telling you, fishermen are not the sharpest people this side of the Mississippi River, let me tell you. <laughs> to go there and to risk your life to kill fish to make money is a tough job, let me tell you. And so he, he begins his team with fishermen. We're going to see that. And when you, we're going to need to ask ourselves, do we want to be on that team? Would we want to be on that team? That's, that's what I want us to uh, ask ourselves today. And so I'm just letting you know he's going to come. And he's, he's basically, I'll just give you a quick summary. He's walking around the Sea of Galilee. He sees some fishermen. And he says, hey, uh, Peter and Andrew, come follow me. Quit fishing. Come follow me. They actually do it. They do. They just walk away. And at first, when you read, you think, yeah, because fishing's a tough job. I wouldn't mind walking away. Come follow me. Then he walks a little bit further. Hey, James and John, I want you to come follow me. And immediately they do. But not only do they, they I mean, they leave their family. Boom, they're gone. And Jesus begins with this team. That's his team. Four fishermen and a vision to come follow me. And I, sometimes I look at it and I think, wow, uh, what a pitch. What an elevator's pitch, right? Hey, I've got a good idea. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Let's go. Anybody with me? And, and it actually worked. And so I know, I don't know about you, but I know there was something in the face of Jesus that when you looked at him and he said, come follow me. Man, there was a look on that guy's face, on Jesus' face that said, yeah, this will work. I think for myself, uh, being a uh, middle child of seven kids and being a... Uh, one who's just lived several different life experiences. The thing that has carried me the furthest in life so far, here, here's my observation, is that I know when somebody loves me and when somebody doesn't. You know, I'm not the sharpest guy. I'm really not. I've worked hard to learn. But I can look around and I can see in the face of the person of whether there's real love there or they're trying to use me or tolerate me. Come on, raise your hands or something. Go, yeah, that's true. People, this is important. You, we need to be able to look and say, does that person love me? Is that person trying to use me? Is that person tolerating me? Or do they love me? Because love changes everything. Come on. And I can't help but to believe that when Jesus looked at Peter, Simon, and Andrew, and he said, hey, come follow me. There's that look like, I love you, man. You're going to love this journey. Compared to fishing, this ain't nothing. I ain't flip. Hanging out with me would be enough. And they do it. And it's a beautiful thing. And I, I genuinely believe that if we can just see the face of the Lord, his love for us, if we could hear his voice, the depth of his love for us, we're dropping and going. Well, you know, why, why would we not, right? That's what we're going to see. And so uh, what I want to acknowledge, first of all, is that as he's moved out and for people to be able to come to that place of saying yes to him, our place is to understand what Kurt had said last week. And that's that we sometimes have to get out of our own space, our own noise. And I love the way that you called it noise. We need to get out of the, the normal path that we're on and go into the wilderness. And so the wilderness, as Kurt taught last week, wasn't a place of, it wasn't a punitive place. It was a place outside of the worldliness. And so I feel just put it aside, I just want us to see this for a moment. The wilderness equals the opposite of worldliness. 
We need to understand this. In fact, I'm asking if you want to have a smart New Year's resolution, there's two smart resolutions you can do that you will keep for sure. One is to not make your resolution for your resolution. Then you win, right? I didn't make one. So did you make it? Yeah, I didn't do it. That was like a joke. Anyway, forget that. But the other is to put the focus on something that you know matters so much that you're doing it. And so would we carve out time to just to say the wilderness is where I'm really going to enter into the heart of God and be able to hear his voice. It can, it can look whatever, but don't get caught up in worldliness. Because the world, again, is like the hamster. It will eat its own, the systems, the structures. That's what happens. And so get out of that system for a moment and just sit there and have some time to be able to seek what lasts forever. Catch a glimpse of that spiritual forever God's kingdom realm, right? So that's, that's what I want us to uh, kind of capture from the message of last week. And Curator really did bless me in, in my own personal dedication of making sure that I move into that wilderness. And I want you to know, I, won't, I only stretch out three times this week. It's just true. But I wildernessed it every day. Every day. I'm just, I'm just stopping. Lord, I, I need to breathe in a little bit. I really I need to catch a glimpse. I need re-inspiration. I just need you. And I'm just like, Lord, would you please just give me that look like you love me, like I'm really your own, even though I'm a mess, you love me. Can I please see that? And then, Lord, I, can you see in my face that I'm not trying to use you? Come on, God. Can you see in my face I'm not trying to just tolerate you, get through just in case? Can you see in my face that, Lord, I love you with all that's in because if, if that works, I've got something and I'm moving in a spiritual world. If I don't have that, then I need to go get in the, this is where you say wilderness. No, we just need that wilderness versus worldliness. And I'll tell you this much. Not only are they opposite of each other, the world will compete for the wilderness. The world will dominate our time and our life. It'll do everything it can to cause us to not seek wilderness where we really get connected with the Lord. That's just from my observations. So now these four guys we just looked at, if they said yes to the Jesus, they leave and they go with him. I want to just ask you this question. Number, I mean, one is, why would they say yes? Why would these guys who are just at this place of trying to get their life in order, eke out a living, Jesus comes, why would they say yes, I'll follow you when he tells them, leave everything, come follow me? And so I'm just asking you, uh, if you would just take a minute and chat with the folks right next to you and, and just just ask them, talk about it for a moment. Why did James and John, why did Peter and why did they say yes and leave everything and go follow? I'll give you about two minutes. Just talk to the folks to your left, your right. Everybody's a friend here. Come on. Why would anybody say yes in that case?
About 30 more seconds, so bring it in. You know, you know, for some of us, the reason we said yes is something I've kind of already alluded to because this world's not our home. We look at it. And what the world has to offer just isn't enough for our full dedication, our whole purpose of life, right? For some of us, that's what we said. Why these guys said yes, there could be uh, a lot in that. But I just want to tell you a little bit of the background about these individuals so that we won't miss uh, the fact that I believe they said yes because they love the Lord and they knew the Lord loved them. And that's what it's going to come down to. But this is why when I first saw as well, you know, because these were, you know, he would look at them. Jesus looked at them. He knew he needed a team. They were looking. They they wanted their life to matter. They wanted it to count for something that was real. So maybe that was part of it. You know, what's interesting about these guys is when you look at the, not only these four, but the eight and the several others that joined them throughout the a three-year ministry of Jesus, they failed over and over and over and over and over again. You know you said, well, maybe you take them fishermen because they're hardworking. And then there were times Jesus said, look, you can't even stay awake and pray with me. Come on. You know, we look at it and we say, oh, no, they were just so loyal. They were really loyal. Then, hey, Peter, you know, crow's going to make a little sound three times and you're going to be gone. And you guys are going to deny me. And, oh, no, they were teachable and correctable. They actually went to Jesus and said, no, Jesus, you think you're going to die? You're not. And they tried to correct Jesus. instead of being. So I look at all these things. And the only thing that I can really come up with is that they really did love the Lord and they were seeking something better than what the world offered. I think it's those two things somewhere in that. And I'm going to suggest to us today that if we have this heart of seeking God, seeking his kingdom, right, and walking in his love, that we will be different people. And now I'm just going to prove it with a certain a simple verse. We've seen these verses there from Deuteronomy all the way through the New Testament several times, but I just want to frame it for you a little bit. And here's the passage. It says, you shall love the Lord your God, right? You shall love the Lord your God and you'll love your neighbor and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. There's different variations of it, but here's what's interesting. When Jesus teaches this in the New Testament and the other places in the Bible, he says, and all of the law is contingent upon these two things. The whole of the law is contingent upon these two things right here, loving God and loving other people. And I can go back to you, even when he went to uh, Abraham and started the whole thing, he goes, I'm going to bless all people through you. Are you ready to receive the blessing and be the blessing? Can you love me in that way and allow me to love others through you? It's always that. So everything's going to come down to, do we really love him and want to love other folks? Isn't that good? Because now it's clear. All the other stuff's complicated. This is clear. Do I love him and am I willing to love other folks? If we can get that done, bam, we are on the road to discipleship, spiritual growth. We can call almost whatever we want. It's going to work. And so that's a powerful truth. And so here's the, the prerequisite to being able to 
grow spiritually, make a difference with our life, is to receive God's love and give it away. That's the prerequisite. That's it. That's it. I love it when when I, I can do that. I mean, Lord, I love you. I want to receive your love. In fact, I want to be able to give it away because my human stuff's not so good, right? I need that forever, that loving kindness of the Lord that comes new every morning, right? That fills me, that changes everything. It's what I call the shift. Uh, you, you know, shift. Make sure we're hearing that. Yeah, just because I saw some people like, what did you say? But it's like, it's, it's a complete shift in everything when you can see it through the eyes and the heart of the love. And I'm telling you right now, friends, you and I will never see into the eternal kingdom outside of love because God is love. All of the law, all of the law, everything he's ever done, all the words of the prophets, says it right here, comes is built on these two principles right here. So you don't have a heart for God. If you aren't walking in his love, you can hear the words of God and miss them completely. Even if you're in the wilderness, then the wilderness becomes a place of learning, right, on how to be corrected as opposed to drawing near to the heart of God. And so you, we've got to get this right. And so I know when somebody's loving me and when somebody's not. Aren't you glad? Little kids know. They can tell. Little kids want to be around people who love them. They, they just like, that's a magnet for them. And so we don't want to lose that. We want to go back to that. All right. So now I just want you to know that that's the requisitions. We, I mean, the prerequisite, we can do this. Now I just feel compelled to tell you there's good news and bad news. All right. If you're walking in the love of God, you will be loved by God. That's good news. You just will. If you're, if you're seeking his love, he's going to love on us. That's, this is who he is. He can't help it. Right. He says, uh, you know, even a broken spirit, anybody in brokenness, anyone who seeks me, I'm going after them, right? If you have a broken spirit and a contrite heart, God cannot despise you. He can't look away from us when we're in that place. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and everything else will be added. Everything else will come on. So we never can go wrong if we're seeking. That's good news. The bad news is that you can seek the love of God. You can walk in the love of God, and all hell will break loose. And you're going to see that in the book of Mark. Just because you love him doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. You can love him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. You can love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm telling you, if you, if you see Mark the way that Mark wrote Mark, New Year's resolutions are a cakewalk compared to walking with Jesus. All hell breaks loose. We're going to see it in a minute. I'm going to read it. Here's Jesus. He gets his team. They start healing people. People are healed. They go in his synagogue. There's a, a, a person that is under the influence and possession of a demon. God cast it out. Every, all of a sudden, it just starts happening, right? But if we don't recognize that the love of God doesn't take us out of the world, and it also doesn't keep us from being attacked by the demonic influence that's in the world, then I'm not selling, setting this up correctly for us. Because that stuff's real. It's really happening. You're going to see it. So that's the bad news. You know, it's there. But the good news outweighs the bad news. Because the love of God is going to cause us to be empowered to be able to live not only above the world, but to be able to transform 
spiritually through our own growth and the influences that we can create and momentum we can create in the middle of a world that's hostile to God. That's what we're going to see. Are you ready to read it? All right, let's go to Mark 1, 16 to 18. And as he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will have you become fishers of people. And immediately they left and followed him. So I think here one of the significant areas that Mark is allowing us to see is that when Jesus is doing the calling, he's not just saying, follow me, but he's saying there's going to be a benefit of following me. And the benefit is that your life is going to matter because you won't just be catching fish anymore. You'll be catching people. And so if you love God, according to everything hanging on his, those two truths, right? If you love him, you'll love people. So if you follow him, you will seek people to follow him too. It's going to happen. Both things happen together. If you love the Lord, you're going to want other people to come and know the love of God. And so the hook here is, hey, you want to get loved on? Yeah, I really do want to get loved on. Well, let me love on you as you're learning to love on other people. Let's go get them. You'll never be loved more when you're going after other people that come to know me. And yet the world says that we need to keep Christ quiet. And, and the world's trying to do everything they can to live a healthy life outside of Christ and is doomed to failure. And so, again, we are the disciples of Christ. We are the ones carrying the message of Christ until he returns. We get to set the stage. We get to control the narrative instead of loud and noxious others. Isn't that amazing? So we see it. So here they go, okay, I'll come. And then uh, go on to Mark 1, 19 to 20. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were also in the boat, mending the net. Immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and went to follow him. You know, the first one I kind of get, it wasn't so hard for me. Okay, you, you leave the boat, you leave your career, you leave your stuff. I can see that. But now you're leaving your family too? Okay, are you guys with me? This is radical stuff. And I, I literally had to say, Lord, I've been married 40 years. I've given my life. I'm not taking family lightly like that. How do you, what's going on? And I felt like the Lord said, until you know my love, you don't even have the love for family that you need. Until you really have the love of the Lord, how are you going to set your family up right? And so he's got to be first. He's got to be the place because we don't want to try to use our family to make up for the fact that we don't have the love of God. You're not trying to marry somebody to have them make you happy. You marry somebody because the happiness of God is so rich in us that we want to share it with somebody else. It's completely different. So don't, so don't, don't shy away from it because you're leaving your family. No, you're getting set right to love your family. And now it's, it's going to come to this place for me that when Jesus said, follow me, I hear it a little bit different. Would you show uh, the next slide? To follow Jesus really means fall in love with me. When he says, follow me, what he's really saying is fall in love with me. Come on. I'm looking for people who will fall in love with me. And so that 
enables us to start loving other people. Now we're going to see where it gets crazy. Ready? Let's go to Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. So now he's got his team. They're going to love him. They're going to receive his love. They're going to go out. They're going to make it make things different. And by the way, in the middle of all that, they're going to feel very loved by the Lord, and they're going to have love to give to one another. Equals church. Equals church. Come on. Church is the place where we experience the love of Christ, and we just start pouring it out on each other. And we start making a difference together in the love of Christ. So now they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed. The word here in Greek is stupefied. They were shocked. It literally, it means stupefied. It means stopped in their tracks. This does not make sense. That's what, so he gets up and he speaks and the cultural, I don't know, lens of the day are shattered. Something greater than culture, something greater than perceptions. All of that is just stupefied when Jesus stands up and teaches. That is teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue. Just then, right? Isn't that perfect? You get up, you're having this amazing thing where everybody's just going, wow, this is different. My heart's open. Please speak to me. I want spiritual truth. I'm tired of all this weird stuff that makes no sense. The world's no different, right? It's all going sideways. Jesus gets up and says, let me tell you how it really is. Hearts are open. Everything looks perfect. And then that bad news. Now the demon starts saying, "Yeah, oh, better create distraction. Better move this somewhere else. Because when these truths come out, that will change everything. So the distraction starts right here. So just then, verse 23, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, what business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Already trying to put Jesus in his place. Nazareth, you little Nazareth, you ain't nothing. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked them saying, be quiet and come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions and crying out with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of him. That poor man. I mean, having to carry that unclean spirit in his innermost being and being forced to miss life because of that. We talk about wanting to be healed of physical things. Can you imagine having that spiritual garbage that you have to carry? And even when the devil went out, he went out creepy and mean, right? Threw him down convulsions. The demonic realm has nothing in it that has our best interest in mind. It's, it's only there to use people. That's what it does. And now verse 27, they were all amazed. Again, stupefied. At this point, can I tell you the right response is? Hey, Lord Jesus, would you look at my life and anything that's not lovely or good or pure in it, would you get rid of? That's the right answer. Hey, Lord, inventory me, please start here. If there's yuck, if that stuff's in him, it might be in me. I don't want that. Come on, Lord, I've just done a cost-benefit analysis. Not walking with you is ugly. Come and do an analysis. Guess what they do? Let's debate what just happened. Look at, look at what happens. And they were all amazed, so they debated among themselves, saying, what is this? Are you teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere in all the surrounding region of Galilee. One of my greatest concerns as a 
a person that's connected to the church is that a lot of what we do is up for consideration and communication. I don't need more podcasts. I'm just telling you, I, I don't even listen to podcasts anymore. I'm, maybe I should. It would help. I think I'd be a better speaker if I did. Um, but I'm reading the Word of God. Just, that's my dedication. I'm saying to the Holy Spirit, would you teach me as I'm reading, friends? I'm at a point, I hope you hear this, I never read more than a paragraph of God's Word without stopping, reflecting, and asking Him, what did you really teach me in this paragraph? How should I be different because of it? I won't read a paragraph without that. I'm not going to listen to what everybody else says about it, right? You know, maybe later or do some research, that would be fine. But I need to allow the Lord to teach me from his word what I just read. And you say, Lord, what, and what does it look like in my life? Because I, I want my life to count. I want to be fishers of men. So what can you do in me? And, and so, I'm so thankful for that. But friends, beware of the folks that critique, listen, have you heard, have you read, have you done maybe we need a little more wilderness and a little less of that. All right, so anyway, this passage kind of bothers me, and I'm telling you that from the beginning, because I don't want to, in my life, ever believe in demons. There's a part of me that wants to say, demons are a man-made construct for people who have issues. That's what I really want to be able to say to you. And so if there's somebody who's under demonic influence, well, that's really, maybe they just need their medications reevaluated. There's a part of me, I'm serious. I don't want to believe what I'm reading here. The problem is I do believe what I'm reading here. And that when you and I set out to be on the team of God, loving God and loving people, all hell will break loose. It's supposed to. Hell has its grip on planet crazy. Jesus broke it on the cross. You and I carry the life of Christ until he returns again. That's the way it works. And so if we see some shaking and some baking and some weird stuff, we're probably on the right team doing the right things. That's how it So I'm just going to conclude by saying three things. But before I say these three things, I want to acknowledge that I didn't have time to talk about what it means to be uh, on the team of Jesus where healing takes place, but I'd like to share and we'll figure that out because we'll slow down in the book of Mark. I, our preaching team is amazing and we're not going to just jump over stuff like this, right? I also don't want to just jump over the, the portion of what you do with demonic, but I will say the short answer is this, is that we, you and I, we don't have a problem that hearing from God won't cure. You and I, we don't have a problem that if we could hear from God, everything would be okay, right? Come on. If we can hear from God, everything will be just fine. And so we're hearing and learning together, and that's going to take place. But we have to make this commitment that we'd rather be in the wilderness time than in the world time to make sure that we're hearing and growing, right? And we do that collectively and collaboratively. So we'll have more message on what it means to see the healing of God. You're going to see it. I think there was like 32 times in the book of Mark alone where healing takes place. And so the good news is only about half of that where you see the demonic, but that's happening too. It's going to come up over and over, okay? So we're going to have to be comfortable. You guys look at it and say, Lord, what is that about? But let me say these three things for my conclusion. Number one is to follow God is to fall in love with God. So let's just fall in love with him. These other things will find a place. But our focus should be fall in love with God. God, I want to love you more than I ever have. 
Number two is that God loves to heal broken people. Just know that God loves to heal broken people. And you and I are the evidence. We are his testimony. We were broken, are broken and being broken and being loved and healed, being loved and healed. Amen. And then number three is that all people can be loved by God. There's not a person that can't be loved by God. Number three, A, B, B is <laughs> all people can be healed. All people can be loved. Take it to the bank. All people can be healed. Take it to the bank. And number three, not so good, but it's true. All people can be deceived. We can be deceived. We all have certain areas, right? But the Lord can bring his light in, his life in, his truth in, and then we start getting corrected, which is a beautiful thing. That's the path of discipleship. Isn't that a great path to be on? Yeah. 